Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And this episode is brought to you today by Lexum Press. Visit the Lexum Press blog at blog.lexumpress.com and receive two free ebooks for subscribing to their updates. One of these is the Ephesians commentary in the EEC series, which D.A. Carson calls unquestionably the best technical commentary on Ephesians. Today's guest is Dr. John Frame. And Dr. Frame, I want to welcome you back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. It's always great to talk to you, sir. So welcome to the show. Dave, good to be with you and with your listeners. Thank you, sir. Uh, can you please catch us up a little bit on what's been going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Uh, yes, I retired in uh, May of 2017. I'm still uh, catching up on some book projects. I expect that the, uh, in this year, uh, Lexham will publish my book, uh, We Are All Philosophers, and I'm continuing to work on that book with their editors. Uh, I also have a project going with my colleague Steve Childers of Pathway Learning. Some of my earlier work and put it into a form that can be uh, easily used by church planters around the world. So those are the main things. I also do a lot of correspondence, and uh, but I'm uh, also uh, writing some short theological articles for various series. Oh, excellent. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading your future work. Um, I know it'll be excellent, as always, sir, so thank you for writing for the church. Thank you. Um, can you please tell us a bit about your book, Nature's Case for God, a brief biblical argument, why you wrote it, and how you hope it's received? Okay, well, several years ago, I published a book called Theology in Three Dimensions. I'm always dividing things into threes, and the first dimension is what the scriptures say. The second dimension is what is the situation that it applies to, and the third uh, dimension is uh, uh, how does it relate to me, my my person, my inwardness. And so uh, I, I call the first perspective the normative, the second one the situational, and the third one the existential. Now I uh, thought then that it uh, might be useful to uh, write a similar book on uh, apologetics, because all these years I've taught both theology and apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith uh, against unbelief. So I thought about a book called The Case for God in Three Perspectives, and the idea was that I would uh, start by uh, talking about what Scripture says about about the existence of God, and then secondly, uh, what does nature say? That would be the situational perspective. And then thirdly, uh, how do I learn about the existence of God through my own being? And uh, so uh, I sent those off to a publisher, and uh, I was going to, uh, for the normative perspective, uh, what the scriptures say, I was going to use some materials that I published earlier, but this publisher didn't want to do that. They didn't want to publish anything that I'd written twice. 
So uh, I just uh, kind of eliminated that section, and we wound up with a book in two perspectives, uh, one about what nature says about God's existence, and the other about what the human conscience says about uh, God's existence. And that uh, made the rounds of the publisher that I was uh, using back then. Uh, eventually, it got back to uh, Lexham Publishers, and it was Lexham that uh, finally brought it out uh, late this past year. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading it. I thought that it was very helpful and also very interesting, which I, well, I know we're going to get into here in just a minute. But before we go there, um, what is the difference between general and special revelation? Well, general revelation is God's uh, revelation to everybody. That's why it's called general. It goes through the whole creation. It goes to all human beings. Everybody has access to general revelation. A special revelation is the revelation that God gives to certain people that he chooses. Uh, God revealed himself to Adam and Eve. He revealed himself by speaking to Noah. Usually special revelation is God speaking or God uh, inspiring a written text. So he spoke to Noah, he spoke to Moses, and when he did that, of course, he also wrote his word on the tables of stone that we call the Ten Commandments. And uh, then uh, in the New Testament, Paul refers to that as the Holy Scriptures. So special revelation is God uh, speaking to particular people, either orally or in writing. And that's what we have in our Bible today. Yeah, that's that's really, really helpful. Thank you. Um, why is it required for anyone in particular, those in the presuppositional school of apologetics, to give an argument for why they believe in natural theology? Well, some presuppositionalists uh, uh, don't like natural theology. Presuppositionalism, of course, uh, is a type of apologetics that uh, emphasizes the authority of God's special revelation, the authority of the Bible. And so uh, uh, presuppositionalists are a little bit suspicious when somebody comes along and says, well, we can know God everywhere, you know. Uh, we want to direct people's attention to the Bible. So uh, there's a little bit of suspicion of uh, what's called natural theology, uh, which is supposed to be a theology that's done uh, that we have access to uh, through general revelation alone. But the thing is that even in the Bible itself, the Bible says that people know God, that people all over the world, wherever they come from, they all know God. This is Romans chapter 1, around verse 18. They know God uh, through the world that he has made, and they clearly know him. And they don't just know facts about God, they know God. And so uh, uh, the Bible itself tells us that it's possible to know God from the natural world. Now, uh, people, they, uh, people, of course, uh, don't come to believe in Christ that way. Romans 1 says that they suppress that uh, knowledge that they have. They suppress it in their unrighteousness. But 
nevertheless, uh, they are responsible to that knowledge. If they suppress it, they, they bear the blame for suppressing it. And so uh, they, the uh, Bible tells us that uh, God is known in the natural world and that people are responsible uh, for believing in God based on this revelation in the natural world. So what I've tried to do in my book is to ask, what does the Bible say about uh, natural revelation? Now, the Bible does uh, does affirm natural revelation. So uh, what does the Bible say that you can know through general revelation? Uh, that's a synonym for natural revelation. What does the Bible say that you can know through uh, through a general revelation about God. I think that's really helpful. Um, and, and just maybe just a follow-up question, because I think that some people, especially in the presuppositional camp, might, I've never been one of these people, but I know that there could be other people. You know, they might be like, well, tell me, tell me a little bit more about, you know, how important this natural theology is to the rest of theology. Well, I am a presuppositionalist, and I've defended presuppositionalism in other books, but uh, the present book is not a book mainly about theological method, but since you ask about uh, how useful uh, I think natural revelation is, I, I start with uh, Acts chapter 17 where Paul is uh, preaching to uh, philosophers uh, uh, at the uh, Acropolis in Greece. And these were philosophers who uh, uh, had various views. Basically, they were materialists. So what Paul does, and they, Paul, of course, knows that they most of them uh, didn't know the Hebrew Scriptures. So he doesn't preach based on the Scriptures. He preaches uh, based on their experience. And he says, look, you've been worshiping all these idols all around. He says that, uh, uh, you know, none of these idols can uh, uh, is deserving of worship. None of these idols deserves uh, uh, the kind of uh, uh, the kind of uh, reverence that you offer to them. And the only uh, God uh, who deserves that worship is one that you don't know. And he says, you admit that you don't know it because there's a statue of an unknown God. So Paul says, I'm going to tell you about that unknown God. And uh, uh, that God is uh, the God uh, that he tells, tells them about uh, uh, how God is uh, uh, great, God is one, and God is uh, planning the history of the world, uh, and he's going to judge the whole world by uh, a man that he has raised from the dead, that is Jesus Christ. And so, uh, in, in answer to your question, the usefulness of general revelation uh, Paul preaches on the text of natural revelation. He uses that as a way to point people uh, to Jesus Christ. That is a that is a great answer. Thank you so much, sir. Um, what is the what is the witness of the created world? Well, the witness of the created world is that uh, the world comes from the hand of God. It doesn't come from. Uh, an impersonal principle, as some philosophers think, 
it doesn't uh, uh, come from uh, uh, from uh, some uh, uh, religious uh, uh, group of gods like the pagan Greeks thought. Uh, it comes from one god who is personal uh, and who has made the world with his own hands. And as I go through the book, I, I emphasize that uh, nature tells us that God is great, that God is one, that God is wise, that God is good, and that God is present with human beings. And uh, that's the first half of my uh, book, Nature's Case for God. Yeah, really. And I really like the, the I love the whole book. It, it's just really, really helpful. Um in part two, you write about four types of conscience. Can you briefly outline the four of them for us? Yes, well, in part two, I go from the situational perspective to the existential perspective. I go from the witness of the created world to the witness of human nature, because, uh, of course, uh, human beings are a revelation of God, too. Genesis says that God made human beings in his image, so we can learn about God not only from the world outside ourselves, but also uh, from ourselves, from the world inside ourselves. And uh, there are a lot of ways that you can talk about this, but I decided to focus on conscience, because conscience is uh, uh, that voice inside us that keeps reminding us of uh, who God is and what he requires of us. And uh, So I talk about four uh, different kinds of conscience that the scriptures mention. Uh, one is the seared conscience, which is a conscience that is so, uh, so uh, compromised, so corrupted by sin that it scarcely uh, reveals anything good. It doesn't, it's almost no help to us at all, but it still uh, does witness to God. The second kind of conscience is the accusing conscience, which uh, uh, accuses us of sin before God. When our conscience accuses us, we know that we've done something wrong. And then the third kind of conscience is the awakened conscience. That's when the conscience uh, uh, realizes that God is real and uh, it awakens to the fact that uh, God is, is real and God is making demands and God is, uh, is, is dealing with us. And then the good conscience, the fourth kind of conscience, is the conscience in which we uh, have, we are not aware of uh, disobeying God's law. Now that good conscience can only come uh, through the grace of God and Jesus Christ. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit in which the Holy Spirit uh, enables us for the first time to do good. And when we see good, when we see the Holy Spirit leading us to do good, our conscience bears witness to that. And so we call that the good conscience. That's uh, very helpful. Um, just a follow-up question. How important is it that Christians have a good understanding of conscience? Well, I think it's very important. I think there's a lot of confusion today. You know, uh, in our culture, people are always uh, uh, talking about morality and talking about ethics. And people are always accusing one another of uh, of uh, doing uh, 
something right or doing something wrong, and uh, and people are very reluctant to accept any criticism. You know, they're very reluctant to uh, go along with anybody who tells them they are wrong. So uh, we have this back and forth uh, debate all every day about morality. The trouble is, hardly anybody understands uh, what the standards are. How, how do you decide when somebody's doing right and when somebody's doing wrong? And of course, the Bible tells us that uh, the only way we can know that is by referring to God's word, uh, God's law, understanding something of the, the great of the goodness of God and the goodness of Jesus Christ and the terribleness of sin because he had to die on the cross to pay for our sin and so uh, that's uh, that's uh, so I, I think that uh, understanding the conscience is a, is a great way to break into that debate that dialogue and to uh, say well this is what God's word says you you appeal to your conscience you talk about uh, doing what your conscience calls you to do uh, here's what the conscience is the, the word of God tells us what the conscience is and it's only the Word of God that has uh, enough authority uh, to tell you what your conscience should be saying. So uh, you can't just uh, appeal to your conscience by itself. You have to appeal to the con uh, appeal beyond the conscience to what God says and what God has revealed through the conscience. Mm, well said, sir. Well said. Well, as we're talking more about the conscience, and you just gave an excellent explanation to help us understand more about that, but how does a good understanding of conscience relate to the work pastors and ministry leaders do in helping equip the people of God? Well, uh, if you're a pastor, uh, of course, you spend uh, time preaching and you spend time counseling, visiting with your people, and uh, of course evangelizing. You want to reach uh, the unbelievers in your area. Well, at every one of these points, you make an appeal to conscience. If you're uh, talking to unbelievers, uh, uh, of course, you uh, you want to persuade them that they have committed sin before God, that they need to repent, and they need to believe in Jesus. Well, that's an appeal to conscience. Uh, and uh, some of them, the Holy Spirit will wake up. Uh, some of them will just resist and, and turn away from what you say. But uh, you, you need to appeal to their conscience. Uh, when you're counseling with people in the church, uh, uh, much of that counseling has to do with uh, helping people to realize where they've been sinful, where they've been unfaithful. And that's always an appeal to conscience. Sometimes people are filled with false guilt. They, they really uh, have not sinned when they think they have. And there too, you need to appeal to their conscience. And of course, when you're preaching to people on Sunday morning, uh, again, uh, if they're going to understand the Word of God, the Word of God uh, uh, always calls us to uh, repent and to change and to uh, uh, turn in, in one direction or another. And so that, too, is a, always an appeal to conscience. So at every point in the, mystery of the, uh, the ministry of the church, uh, you need to appeal to the consciences of people. Well said. Very well said. Um just as we wrap up this conversation, Dr. Freeman, it's been very helpful. Thank you. Um, can you give us a few takeaways that you would have for our listeners from your book? Well, I think the book is uh, will 
give you some idea of uh, how people uh, in, in the business of theology and apologetics have uh, uh, talked about uh, God's general revelation. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, you're, you, so I, as I say, I think one way of reading the book is just to get some information about uh, theological discussions. But beyond that, I think that uh, the book enables us to uh, really uh, rejoice in the depth of, of God's general revelation. We think of the Psalms, for example, and people uh, in the Psalms, they look out at the creation and they say, oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So as we're persuaded that the natural world is really God's creation, uh, when we look out there, we see uh, such wonderful things. We see uh, evidence of God's wisdom and God's oneness and God's goodness and God's presence. And that certainly uh, has to uh, fill us with thanksgiving that uh, he is real, that he's with us. And then, of course, uh, the other takeaway is about ourselves, that uh, uh, even though we were surrounded by the truth of God, uh, we nevertheless have been very unfaithful to him, and we need to turn back to him. And so we hear that message coming through our conscience, and uh, we need to give heed to our conscience. And uh, of course, uh, you know, we, we, it's not just a matter of following the conscience, because the conscience sometimes is, uh, uh, is uh, uh, weakened because of sin. Our, our conscience has to be trained. Our conscience has to be disciplined by going back uh, to the Word of God. But uh, after our conscience is, uh, is trained to distinguish good and evil, we need to learn to uh, follow it. We need to follow the good and uh, reject what is evil. Well, Dr. Frame, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. I know you're a very busy man, um, and I really appreciate all that you are doing in writing and in ministry to help other people grow in the in the Word of God and the grace of God. So please know that you're very much appreciated, sir. Well, thank you, Dave. It's been good to be uh, uh, on your podcast with you. Thank you, sir. I'd like to thank Lexum Press for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit blog.lexumpress.com to receive a free commentary on Ephesians and a great book on preaching, both free for subscribing to their updates. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Servants of Grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.